This is Pastor Nathan Kirk, and I am so glad that you have decided to make Greater Life a part of your day by tuning in to the message that you're about to hear. We here at Greater Life are a group of people that are passionate about living for Christ, as well as service one to another. From our worship services, classes, and messages, we strive to love and serve with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. I hope you enjoy the message you're about to hear, that it is a blessing to you, and that in turn you may be a blessing to others. If you're searching for a church to call your home, I encourage you to join us here at Greater Life. 30, just a few verses. So it's not very much, probably about 10 verses total. If there's anyone, there's a microphone. It's right in front of Harvey. How many, how many would like to hear from Harvey tonight? All right, well, in, how many would not like to hear from Harvey tonight? <laughs> well, we're going to hear from Harvey, and then, and then we will hit you later. And you can even read later, too. Um, <laughs> we'll get to you later. Uh, yes, yes. Um, so Genesis chapter uh, 29, beginning in verse 31 through 35. And, yep, Genesis 29, 31 through 35. And while we read this, I want us to, really what I want to do is just set the narrative or talk about the story, what's going on here. What's going on in this story? Where are we at? You know, I think it'll set the tone and hopefully make sense as we incorporate Ecclesiastes into this. So Genesis chapter 29, 31 through 35. When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. So Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, the Lord has surely looked on my affliction. Now therefore my husband will love me. Then she conceived again and bore a son and said... Because the Lord has heard that I am unloved, he has therefore given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. She conceived again and bore a son and said, Now this time a husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore his name was called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, Now I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah. Then she stopped bearing. All right, so from a story, from a narrative standpoint, what's taking place there? What's happening with Jacob and with Leah? This isn't a trick. She's having children. Why, why is that important? So she was barren, and what was that? Security? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So all of that. Yeah, excellent. Awesome. How, why else is that important? That, that's super important. What, what are the reasons is that important? So her sister was her sister was not having kids. She was the favorite. Why? What? What's the deal with that? What was going on there? Let's let's talk about this story. Remember this story, Rachel and Leah. Remember this. Why is that important? What was going on there? Nick, you look like you have you. You're just ready to say something. Yeah. What was going on there? The mic. You know. Can we slide the microphone around? Because I think I think he just. We just really See, Jacob wanted to marry Rachel, 
And he almost did, but then Rachel's dad did the old switcheroo <laughs> at the last minute, and then he married Leah, and then he got more free labor, and finally he did get <laughs> Rachel, but yeah. it was a long time. Yeah, that was... Uh... So Rachel was younger, Leah was older, Rachel was beautiful, she, I mean, the Bible goes on and talks about how pretty she was, and Leah had... Soft eyes, the Bible says. Yeah, great personality. Okay, yeah, yeah. I didn't say that. That came from the back table. Um, right. Um, and and at, so, so Jacob wanted to marry Rachel. Understand, he wanted to marry Rachel. Why? Because she was better looking. I mean, that was, that's what that kind of boiled down to. Okay. Very, pretty superficial. When the wedding night came, the switcheroo that Laban did was was a lot of trickery because it wasn't just a switcheroo like um, like it just happened. He got he made sure that Isaac or that Jacob got really drunk, which is why like that's just a good reason right there not to include alcohol in your life. You never know, ever. So anyway, um, he got drunk and then woke up in the next morning, and there were those soft eyes staring right back at him, like, what happened? He married the wrong woman. And Laban said, well, it's because she's older. I can't permit that. We, our custom is she's older. She has to be married first. So he despised Leah because of this. Leah was unloved. She was hated, unloved. And because she was unloved, the Bible says that the Lord opened her womb. And she bore some children. Um, So Abraham had how many sons? Many sons had father Abraham and daughters. So we want to be fair. He had... One. Now, sometimes we say two because of Ishmael, right? Here's an interesting thing. When you read in your Bible, it says, Abraham, take your son, your only son, because Ishmael was born to Abram. Isaac was born to Abraham. Interesting. Huh? Same person, but the Lord, this is not my theory, it's not my theology, it's the Lord. The Lord said, take your son, your only son. So, one. How many sons did Isaac have? Two, right? Jacob and Esau. How many sons did Jacob have with Leah? Six. In Genesis chapter 30, 17 through 21, Harvey, if you wouldn't mind reading Genesis chapter 30, 17 through 21. And God listened to Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. Leah said, God has given me my wages because I have given my maid to my husband. So she called his name Issachar. Then Leah conceived again and bore Jacob a sixth son. And Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. 
Now my husband will dwell with me, because I have borne him six sons. So she called his name Zebulun. Afterward, she bore a daughter and called her name Dinah. All right. That's a lot of sons for the one that was hated or unloved. Now, I want to direct your attention to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. This is where we're going to pick up here tonight. In the previous chapter, chapter number 2, who was the main, the main subject of that chapter? We talked about this last week. Who was the main subject of that chapter? Um, it was the teacher, the preacher, teacher, Koaleth, like that's who it was. It, it was all about him, right? I, me, my. That's what it was all about. The Lord enters into this chapter at the very end, and that's when the revelation of what was good and proper comes in. When he stopped considering life through the prism of self. And I, I, what I want to talk to us about here tonight is... Um, Basically, along the lines of this subject, when more is not enough. When more is not enough. When you're hungry and, you're, and, you, and you eat until you're full, and then you just keep reaching for more things. When you've purchased what you've wanted, and it finally gets delivered to your home, and you're already back on Amazon looking for something else. When more is not enough. The focus of the author has shifted from self and now is on to others. He's helping us learn as he has come to a weighty conclusion at the end of chapter 2. In chapter 2, he's wrestling within himself, coming to the conclusion that God revealed nothing is better for a man than he should eat, drink, and that his soul should enjoy the good of his labor. And this became his personal takeaway. So I'm wondering tonight if somebody could please read Ecclesiastes chapter 3, Verses 1 through 8. Would anybody be interested? Brett, you had your hand up earlier. Thank you. <laughs> you know what I was... Yes, it wasn't just an observation. Okay. Like, like, you had your hand up earlier, and now I'll connect the dots. Okay, thank you. Would you mind? Um, 1 through 8. Yes. <clears throat> to everything, there is a season. A time for every purpose under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones. 
a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to gain and a time to lose, a time to keep up and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time of war and a time of peace. That's a lot going on there. So when you read that, it's more than just a song. It originated from wisdom literature and scripture. When you read that, what I want to do tonight is really just ask, what are, some of the, what are you taking away from that? When you, what, what is your takeaway that you have from that? What's your personal takeaway? What are you getting from that? When he says, to everything there's a season, a time to every purpose under heaven, and then for the next seven verses goes into these dichotomies, one time for this and an opposite, a time for something else. What, is, what are you taking away from that? What's that? Don't get comfortable. I'll take. I, very, yeah. So okay. So don't don't get comfortable because there are seasons. Um, two things. One that if you're in one of those seasons, then the next one, like you won't be there forever. Like there That's will good. be another one. That's so. good. Yeah, um, yeah. Whatever side of the coin that is right now, um, it will turn. Um, and then kind of along with that, then that means there's appropriate things to do in those seasons. And so if there's a time to weep and a time to laugh, like it's not appropriate to reverse those and try to make your weeping time a laughing time. Like, like you have to be there for what you're there for. Um and if you're, like, if you're not there to weep when it's time to weep, then, like, you probably won't experience, like, the time of laughing in the same way that you should because, like, I don't know. That's just, that's where you're at. Like, be there for it. <laughs> yeah. So, okay, so you had mentioned time to laugh and time to weep. Are there, what other seasons jump out to, because when you read this, you go through this, um, it's kind of like, oh, that that portion really resonated with me. That portion really resonates with me. What what resonates with you? Each season has a purpose. That's great. Can you can can we? Would you like the microphone? Yes. Okay. Great. And then I want you to talk about that. What do you mean? Because that that's so profound. I guess each season has a purpose, and don't fight it. Because oh. if you're fighting it, it's just going to take you longer to get through it. Yeah, that's really good. So, so does winter have a purpose? <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, we can walk. Okay, thank you, Brother Gibson. What up, bum? Winter has a purpose. Did you know that? And how many of us in March are over it? You know, like, or January, or... Like, right? And Jesse, you're like, no, you're not over it. You just embrace it. If you don't have winter, so what's the purpose of winter? Why is that important? To remind you that God's still God? 
What, what does that even mean? He made it perfect. To enjoy the snow. If you complain about it, does it make it warmer? No, it makes it colder, it seems like. To appreciate, it gives you something to appreciate. Yet today was kind of unseasonably warm, wasn't it? And most of us, not everybody, but maybe, I don't know, but most of us were probably like, this is really warm out here. I'm kind of digging this. Brother Gibson? Yeah. Yeah. So farmers, when, when they're done with harvest, they rest for a little while, but then they're tearing all their equipment apart, putting it back together, making sure it's functional and ready for the next season. It's good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If, if, very good. If we're not aware of the seasons that we're in and we try to operate in opposition to the season that we're in, we're going to be very frustrated. This book of Ecclesiastes is bringing us to a grinding halt and it's telling us, be aware of the season that you're in. Yeah. Well, let's let's get you the microphone because I want this on the record just in case anything happens to me. Uh, <laughs> but a time to kill does that point to like dying out to self? a time to kill some of the bad things within. Is that what that's referring to? Yeah. Like, <laughs> like Ecclesiastes is kind of like, yeah, sure. Yeah, whatever, yeah. What's the point? Like, no. But that's, so the answer is yes. Because what follows is a time to heal. Yes. So I don't think it's talking like maybe what Roger was referring to. But <laughs> I, think, I think there is... I think you can definitely see it internally within yourself. But I also think there is something that's talked about externally as well. Relationally, there are some things that have to die. And then there's a time, like once we put something to death, not the relationship, but once we put something to death, then something, then it's a season right. to heal. Um, I think of the parable, when you talk about the season of, of healing, I think of the parable of the Good Samaritan who um, came across this man that was brutally beaten 
And then that was the next season of his life was heal, was a process of healing. And, it, and, it, and I love how it's a season of healing. It's not just automatic, right? I, but I do think there is a really big, and the point, to your point, that big internal, um, there is a time to aggressively attack um, our, our self, our humanity, our flesh. The kingdom of God suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. And oftentimes we think we have to be aggressive against the outside, but Paul says, I die, I, I die, I die daily. Crucify, that's not very pleasant language. That's very violent language. Crucify, that's extremely violent. Crucify the flesh. But you can't live like that all the time. That's why prophets, we, when we did the five-fold, starting the five-fold ministry, prophets are not good pastors. Because prophets, everything is wrong. And you're always going to hell. Like, they're always like, judgment, and God's going to, and like, you're like, oh, I can't take this anymore. But like, and, and pastors don't necessarily make good prophets either. So what I'm, what I'm trying to say is, um, there is a time when you do, when you do aggressively go after what's going on in our hearts. There's a season for that in our lives. But you can't live under that because then in a season of healing, if you're trying to attack what needs to be healed, um, we're going to do a lot, do more damage than good. Does that make sense? That's a very good point. Well, it's a very good explanation. <laughs> well, thanks. <laughs> but the, I think the takeaway is this, is, and this has been mentioned, so I just want to highlight that. The highlight is the season that you're in has a purpose. Number one, don't neglect the purpose. If you find yourself frustrated with a winter that you are in, go to the Lord of the seasons. Say, God, what is the purpose for this season? And stay with him until he reveals it. Embrace the season. Winter is on its way. The evenings are earlier. And you can fight that. De- depression begins to increase during this season. And, and I don't mean just externally. I'm talking to us here in this room. Some of you probably struggle with seasonal depression. That's not, it's not like this thing we can't talk about. I think we just need to step into it. And, and for you to not be afraid of the season you're going into... One of the things is to not to embrace the depression, but embrace the season and say, we're not going to let the season crush us or kill us. There are some really practical things that you can do about seasonal depression. Um, some, some of those things include uh, reading books, not screens. Screens won't, make you, won't help you in this. But if you read a book and you take an incandescent light bulb and shine it at the book, the reflection of that... Um, will will increase vitamin D production similarly to how the sun increases the uh, sun does vitamin D production in your life, and what that will do is it will elevate your mood. Interesting. You know what else you could do when it gets bitterly cold? 
take yourself to, to the Arboretum. Where it's warm and humid. And you're like, it's not always like this. We can actually enjoy some, something warm in our lives. Get out. Move around. Have a candle. Light a candle. Don't fall asleep with it on, but like light a candle. Like there are some really practical things you could do. And you could hate the season or you could realize that there's a purpose for that season. So whatever season you find yourself in, if you're unhappy, find the purpose for that season. The other takeaway is this. Don't try to live in the opposite of that season. Right? What do you tell your kids when they go out in winter with a t-shirt, huh? If t-shirt and flip-flops. What do you tell them? It's cold. Put a coat on. Put some shoes on. Because, and, and we think, like, some people can do that. Some people can go out and just, they're just warm-blooded and, and bless you. But, like, but you, you'll get sick. Right? If you try to live in the season that you're not in. If you try to plant in the winter, try putting your shovel into the ground. You will be frustrated and fruitless. Realize the season that you're in. Did you know here in Minnesota, the apples that we eat in Minnesota will not grow or thrive in southern climates? Because they need a certain number of days below freezing temperature in order to recover and to prepare them for the next growing season. So if you love Honeycrisp apples, you have, they have to be in a cold climate in order to thrive. Don't despise the season. Don't weep when it's time to laugh. Don't laugh when it's time to weep. There's a time and there is a purpose. Don't miss the season that you're in. Verse 9 of this chapter, What profit has the worker from that in which he labors? I have seen the God-given task with which the sons of men are to be occupied. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has put eternity... I love this. This is so poetic. He has put eternity in their hearts, except that no one can find out the work that God does from the beginning to the end. It's, it's so rich. It's, it, within us is eternity, but nobody can discover. We can never search the depths of the beginning or the end, but within us is eternity. I know that nothing is better for them Again, this is, he's referring to others now. Nothing's better for them, them than to rejoice and to do good in their lives. You cannot embrace a verse like that without first embracing the season that you're in. Don't begrudge the season that you're in. Even hard seasons. The beauty is that that season will come to an end. Yes, it will. But there's a purpose in that season. So even in that hard season, I know that nothing is better than to rejoice. You know, it's hard to rejoice in hard seasons. And to be honest about that rejoicing. 
right? We can rejoice and say, I thank God it's not always going to be like that. That's not embracing the season that you're in. And then he goes on to say in verse 13, and also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. Hear this. It is the gift of God. Every good gift, James 1 and 17, and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there's no variation or shadow of turning. Verse 14. I know that whatever God does, it shall be forever or final. It'll be settled. It'll be final. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it that men should fear before him. That which is has already been. That which is to be has already been. And God requires an account of what is past. The season that you're in is not, you're not the first person to go through this season. You know that. Sometimes we think what we're going through is just novel and we're the only ones to ever experience this. You're not the only one to go through this. It's not uh, the uniqueness of your experience. It's how you conduct yourself and how you grow during your season. And the Lord is putting it into your hands And he's saying, this is a gift from God. It's a gift from God to labor through your season and to really to work through it. Work through your season. Don't don't try to bunker in and just wait it out. Work through your season. Work through what's going on in your heart and in your mind. Work through that. And see what the Lord, how he wants to either take things out or grow things in you. Work, work, work with him on that. It's the season that you're in. If we try to um, buck against that season that we're in, if we try to push against that season, um, there's an account, and God will require an account of really what where we're at and what we do with that season. And so... This evening, to, to bring this together, here are some things I want to touch on. I want to touch on um, this term. There are three terms I want to ask you for kind of your response when I, when I list these terms. And I'm asking you to, what's your response when you hear these terms? Number one is this. Number one, complacency. Complacency. What when you think of complacency, what comes to your mind when you hear that term? What was that? Laziness. Okay. Giving up. Oh wow. Yeah. Frustration. Yeah, wow, that's really good. Being satisfied with not advancing or moving forward. Comfortable, I think I heard. What was that? It was back there? Okay. 
comfortable. Was that Brother Lattice, I think? Yeah, because you know, you know, you're not complacent. You're not, you're not complacent yet. Complacency. Yes. Um, yeah, let's do this. Um, no, it's okay. It's not you. This isn't, this isn't nepotism. It's just I'm just because <laughs> I, mean, I, I have a follow up question. So can you say that again? Complacency, the way the way I think of it is uh, like you, I, like I, not you, but I recognize that there needs to be a change, but I don't see the value in the change. Okay. So you put something. You put a different. Not you, but we can put a value above the value of the change. What do we value above the value of change? What is a, what's a weightier, you know, when we talk about value, it's about scales. So what's a heavier value than the change would be or the outcome from that change? Working? Pain. So pleasure, right? Because it'll cost something to change. It'll hurt a little bit. So pleasure, we want... Is that what you, if pain is, yeah, yeah, I feel like, yes, yeah, how much we can tolerate, yeah, comfort, yeah, 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 keep, well, what? Yeah, sorry, what, what? Would you be so, you are so kind. Thank you so much. <laughs> uh, another spin on the pain is that you don't want to go through the pain of that change of, of not being complacent because in not being complacent, like that requires something of you. It requires work. It requires action. It, it requires cost it, and could be painful. So it's a, the point of comfort or pleasure, like those things are greater than whatever that needed change is. Yeah. Very good. I was going to say, that's also where, like, where I said frustration, where that can come in as well, is because, like, you want to make that change, but you don't know what it's going to take, how far it's going to take you, and you're trying to make it work yourself, but then sometimes you just can't. And that's where you can get frustrated. Yes. Complacency. Textbook definition is this. A, fe- a feeling of smug or uncritical satisfaction with oneself or one's achievements. I've done pretty good. And do I see some things that could improve? Yeah. yeah I've done a good job. I've done good Enough. Possibly the two most dangerous words when they're put together in the English language. Good enough. It can be dangerous. And it's that level of discomfort where you, where you don't reach in complacency. You don't reach a level of, comfort, of discomfort where you have to change something. Seasons, 
the point of this, this lesson tonight is to maybe encourage us, don't wait for discomfort to make you change something. Right. Don't wait for discomfort to be the catalyst of change. Obedience of the seat to enjoy and to labor in the season that you're in is our catalyst for change. It's obedience. God wants obedience more than he wants us to react out of discomfort or, or terror of what may happen. He's looking for obedience. He's looking for us to obey. How much bet? Yes. Yeah, no. no, that's fine. I interrupted you. No. <laughs> no. Um, I guess what I've seen and noticed and experienced and been a part of is one of the most dangerous places is not when you're weak, but it's right after a big victory. Mm. Really um, good. You are way vulnerable um, because you become comfortable or just complacent, you know, at that, in that moment. And the, the, the feeling or drive to do more kind of is not there. Yeah. Real good. And the enemy is aware of that. And sometimes those are the times. When you put your shield down, you say, I did it. But if you're self vulnerable. All right, let's move on to something else. Because I don't want this to get confused. Um, gratitude. The word gratitude. It's November, Thanksgiving. Right? But, like, let's talk about it. Gratitude. Gratitude. What do you think of when you hear the word gratitude? What, what do you hear? What do you think? What comes to you? Thankfulness. Good. Happiness. All right. What else? Contentment. What else? Appreciation. I like to refer to gratitude as this. Being, at the very least, being okay with what you have. Being okay with what you have. I'm okay with what I have. But there's a word, and Brie, you had mentioned this word, that I, that I want to use is not a synonym for gratitude, but uh, a comparison word to gratitude, and it's the word contentment. Contentment. And I won't ask us to go through the mental gymnastics of this one, but here's why I would say it's a complementary word, because whereas grat- this is how, how I want to explain it tonight, whereas gratitude is being okay with what you have, Contentment is being okay with what you don't have. Not necessarily. It, it's different. It's different. It can be different. But here's the, the principle is this. When you're content, Paul says this. I hope, I hope it's not like that contentment is not the same as complacency. Let's talk about how it's not the same. Paul says, I've learned to be content in everything, whatever state that I'm in. Minnesota, Wisconsin, Iowa, 
North Dakota. I am content. No. So I, I was going to talk about that. He says, I, to be blessed or to be in want or abased, to abound or to be, in, to be lacking, whatever state condition I'm in, I've learned to be content. It's, it didn't come automatically. He said, I've had to learn to be content. To be okay with what you don't have. There's a difference between complacency and contentment because contentment is a satisfaction with self. Look at what I've done. Contentment is what we find in our relationship with the Lord. And this whole book of Ecclesiastes is our perspective and our view on life and how we fail to have any kind of fulfillment in life if we try to find it outside of the Lord. We can achieve contentment in the things that we don't have when we realize that he fulfills those things in us. How many have done this... um, have looked at other people that have more than you. First of all, let's maybe just take a little survey. How many of us know or know of people that have more than you? It's like almost everybody here. Okay. Right. And, and we think that they've got it all together. I think I just heard that the lottery this, 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 turn, this time around was over $2 billion. Yeah. $2 billion. Check your ticket. Did you just say that? What? What? Lord, help us. We think that if we reach a certain status, sometimes it's, it's not, it's humanistic thinking. It's, it's very natural for us that if we had what other people had, we would be, we'd be content. We'd be, we would arrive. But it's not until you have, and when, once you get to that place, do you know what you see? It finally gets you over the hill. Like, have you ever been walking? Speaking of over the hill, um, no, just, I just, <laughs> just, you know, <laughs> no, just, uh, oh, it's really warm in here. Time to kill, I think Jody said. Uh, no, but how many of you have been hiking? You've been hiking or on a walk and you see a hill and you're like, okay, if I can just get past this, I know we're finally going to get there. And you get over that one and you see another one. It is bigger. You're like, what? why is this happening to me? I just conquered this hill, and now there's a bigger one? It's the same way in, in life. When you reach a certain status, it only gives you perspective of where you haven't yet been. That's what he's telling us in Ecclesiastes. He's saying, you're, you're reaching, you're reaching. We're always trying to reach, and, it's when you, and he's saying, I reached the pinnacle of all these things. And I found that at the peak of everything, it's all empty outside of the Lord. He said, I had everything, and it was vapor. It was nothing. 
So that's why Paul is talking to us, and he's uh, about contentment. And that's why I bring up the subject tonight, when more is not enough. In order to appreciate something, you have to be intimately familiar with it and engage with it to know the value that it brings. How many have ever given somebody a gift that meant something to you and they were careless with it? Some of you are still holding on to that. I think we just need to like let it go. It's okay. It was 38 years ago. It's going to be all right. Right? But how many of us have done that where we had something that was valuable and precious to us because we were intimately familiar with it and it held a value to us and we gave it to somebody else and they didn't value it at all. They were careless with it. The reason why there was that lack of appreciation is because they were not intimately familiar with it. They didn't engage with it. They didn't interact with it to know the value that it brings. God, hear, hear me today, God is giving you the gift of this season. Treasure this gift and don't throw it away. The season that you're in is a gift from God. And he wants you to find the appreciation of it. But in order for you to actually appreciate the season that you're in, you have to engage with it. And become familiar with it. And become intimately involved with it. Or else we are simply throwing it away. Laban had two daughters. Rachel and Leah. And Jacob, it's not that he didn't, that he didn't really prefer Leah. The Bible says that she was unloved. That word unloved in the Hebrew means hated. That's an active disdain of the life that he had. In the story of Rachel and Leah, a broader application is that he disdained the life that he had while looking for the life that he wanted. And we can fall so victim to that if we don't engage with the season that we're in right now. We can, that's why, that's why men when they have their midlife crisis, they go out and they buy that vintage car or truck or tractor um, from, from their youth or, or motorcycle, perhaps. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just like saying, for example, like they buy that so that they, can, so that they can identify with a life that they don't have. 
Now, if you have a dream car, dream truck, tractor, motorcycle, or anything like that, I'm not saying that, that it's an indictment on you or anything like that. I'm not trying to say that. Um, but what I am trying to say is let's be careful because if we despise or disdain the life that God has given you and the season that you have for what you want to have, you'll actually miss the blessing and the value of where you're at right now. The world, your world just needs to slow down. Long winters maybe help give us a little bit of perspective. The season that you're in, needs to, you need to slow down. And in the season that you're in, stop finding the spiteful things of the season that you're in and find out if God has put you in this season, then, Lord, what are, what are you having me to embrace in this season? It was the tale of his two wives, Rachel and Leah. So where I want to close with tonight is this. Oh, no, I should, I should say this first, because this was pretty all right to say. Um, also, this, this, this principle is also true about the value that the season doesn't bring. And the importance of really finding out what matters and what doesn't matter in the season that you're in. It's equally important to find out what matters and to find the value in that as it is to find out really what doesn't matter. What, and, and the hard part about that, folks, is when we have invested so much in what doesn't matter only to find out that it's of no value. It's, and, and there's a season where the Lord is trying to gift you this revelation, this understanding, to help you stop investing in that and to invest in what does actually matter. And what happens from this is to learn not to be just appreciative for the season, but really to learn to be appreciative of what God has given you. Even, hear me tonight, even the struggles. Even the struggles. Because the struggles can reemphasize your dependence on Christ as opposed to emphasizing our dependence on ourselves. Sometimes the Lord blesses us, and it doesn't feel like a blessing, but he blesses us with struggles so that we can remember again how much we really need him. It hurts, doesn't it? So, if you're struggling, realize that the Lord is in your struggle. And he's talking to you. We just need to slow down enough to listen. Then finally, in closing tonight, Genesis chapter 49 and verse 29. 
Jacob has just blessed all of his sons, six of whom belong to Leah. Verse 29 reads this. He charged them and said to them, I am to be gathered unto my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite. In the cave that is in the field of Mechpelah, which is before Mamre in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field of Ephraim the Hittite for a possession of a burying place. There, he's giving them instructions. There, it's the same place they buried Abraham and Sarah, his wife. And they buried Isaac and Rebekah, his wife. And there, I buried Leah. At the end of this man's life, he's saying, bury me with Leah. And perhaps it took him an entire lifetime to realize what was really important. And for him to stop chasing the life that he wanted and to actually appreciate the life that God had given him. And the message tonight is this, in the season that you're in right now, more, more will not be enough. Let us, this is the instruction, let's slow down and let's actually begin to appreciate this season that God has given you. Let's Slow it down, folks. Because more won't be enough. And the life that you want to have may very well rob you from the very thing that God has put you in and is blessing you with right now. So if this season there's a time and a purpose for it, let's throw away all the junk and the negativity and let's find out, Lord, What purpose and what season do you have me in right now? And help me. And if you're sitting there saying, well, there's nothing I can appreciate about this, then you're right. You're right. You will never find appreciation in it. But if you look to him, if you look to Jesus, outside of him, you'll never find it. But if you include him and you tell God that there's nothing that you can appreciate now, try telling him that. He will let you know how he really feels about that because he's giving you the gift of now. And he's asking you, don't don't carelessly discard this season. Learn and embrace and appreciate what I'm gifting you with, what God is gifting you with in this season. Amen. Let's stand together tonight. In dismissal, let's pray. And I would ask us to pray simply to that effect. Lord, show me the value 
and the purpose of this season that you have me in right now for your glory, for your glory. Amen. Let's pray tonight. Lord Jesus, your word is so beautiful and is so wonderfully written that there's not really anything that we can add to. We can't add a thing to it, Lord. But we want to right now lean into this and embrace this. Lord, we don't want to become complacent. Help us, Lord, to not become a complacent people. We want to express our gratitude, and we want to learn contentment, not in our own accomplishments or our achievements, but the contentment that we find in you, our comfort, our peace. So, Lord, I'm praying tonight over, over a people that we would hear and recognize and that we would have open eyes to see the season that we're in, that we would not wait till we're past it to learn to appreciate it. But Lord, in the very middle of this season that we are in individually, as families, as a church, that you would help us to see and to learn to appreciate where you have us in right now. Not after the fact not the lesson that we will one day learn. Those will come. But Lord, I pray right now that we, you would help us to slow this whole thing down and learn to just appreciate the beauty and the purpose of what you have us in right now. And in that appreciation, help us to be content in you. In Jesus' name, amen.